Chapter Ten of the Story of Ab. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. Chapter Ten. Old Mock the Mentor. It was at about this time, the time when Ab had begun to develop from boyhood into strong and aspiring youth, that his family was increased from five to six by the addition of a singular character, Old Mock. This personage was bent and seemingly old, but he was younger than he looked, though he was not extremely fair to look upon. He had a shock of grizzled hair, a short, stiff, unpleasant beard, and the condition of one of his legs made him a cripple of an exaggerated type. He could hobble about and on great occasions make a journey of some length, but he was practically debarred from hunting. The extraordinary curvature of his twisted leg was, as usual in his time, the result of an encounter with some wild beast. The limb curved like a corkscrew, and was so much shorter than the other leg that the man was really safe only when the walls of a cave enclosed him. But if his legs were weak, his brain and arms were not. In that grizzled head was much intelligence, and the arms were those of a great climber. His toes were clasping things, and he was at home in a treetop, but he did not travel much. There was no need. Old Mock had special gifts, and they were such as made him a desirable friend among the cavemen. He had, in his youth, been a mighty hunter, and had so learned that he could tell wonderfully the ways of beasts and swimming things, and the ways of slaying or eluding them. Best of all, he was such a fashioner of weapons as the valley had rarely known, and because of this was in great request as a cared-for inmate of almost any cave which hit his fancy. After his crippling he had drifted from one haven to another, never quite satisfied with what he found, and now he had come to live, as he supposed, with his old friend One Ear, until life should end. Despite his harshness of appearance, and neither of the two could ever afterward explain it, there was something about the grim old man which commended him to Ab from the very first. There was an occasional twinkle in the fierce old fellow's eye, and sometimes a certain cackle in his clucking talk, which betokened not unkindliness toward a healthy youngster, and the two soon grew together, as often the young and old may do. Though but what might be called in one sense a dependent, the crippled hunter had a dignity and was arbitrary in the expression of his views. Never once, through all the thousands of years which have passed since he hobbled here and there, has lived an armourer more famous among those who knew him best. No fashioner of sword or lance or coat of mail or plate in the far later centuries had better reputation than had Mock with his friends and patrons for the making of good weapons, though it may be that his clientele were less numerous by hundreds to one than that of some later manufacturer of a Toledo blade. He might be living partly as a dependent, but he could do almost as he willed. Who should have standing if it were not accorded to the most gifted chipper of flint and carver of mammoth-tooth in all the region from where the little waters came down to make a river, to where the blue broad stream, blending with friendly currents, was lost in what is now the great North Sea? A boy and an old man can come together closely, and that has, through all the ages, been a good thing for each. The boy learns that which enables him to do things, and the man is happy in watching the development of one of his own kind. Helping and advising Ab, and sometimes Oak as well, Old Mock did not discourage sometimes reckless undertakings. In those days chances were accepted. So when any magnificent scheme suggested itself to the two youths, Ab at once sought his adviser and was not discountenanced. It was a great night in the cave when Ab brought home two fluffy grey bundles, not much larger than kittens, and tied them in a corner with thongs of sinew, sinew so tough and stringy that it could not easily be severed by the sharp teeth which were at once applied to it. The fluffy grey bundles were two young wolves, and were, for Ab, a great possession. They were not even brother and sister, these cubs, and had been gallantly captured by the two courageous rangers, Ab and Oak. For some time the boys had noted lurking shadows about a rugged height close by the river, some distance below the cave of Ab, and had resolved upon a closer investigation. 
A particularly ugly brute was the wolf of the caveman's time, but one which, when not in pack, was unlikely to assail two well-armed and sturdy youths in daylight, and the result of much cautious spying was that they found two dens, each with young in them, and at a time when the old wolves were away. In one den Ab seized upon two of the snarling cubs, and Oak did the same in the other, and then the raiders fled with such speed as was in them, until they were at a safe distance from the place where things would not go well with them should the robbed parents return. Once in safe territory, each exchanged a cub for one seized by the other, and then each went home in triumph. Ab was especially delighted. He was determined to feed his cubs with the utmost care, and to keep them alive and growing. He was full of the fancy and delighted in it, but he had assumed a great responsibility. The cubs were tied in a corner of the cave, and at once commanded the attention and unbounded admiration of Bark and Beechleaf. The young lady especially delighted in the little beasts, and could usually be found lying in the corner with them, the baby wolves learning in time to play with her as if she were a wolf-suckled cub herself. Bark had almost the same relations with the little brutes, and Ab looked after them most carefully. Even the father and mother became interested in the antics of the young children and young wolves, and the cubs became acknowledged, if not particularly respected, members of the family. But Ab's dream was too much for sudden realisation. Not all at once could the wild thing become a tame one. As the cubs grew and their teeth became longer and sharper, there was an occasional conflict, and the arms of Bark and Beechleaf were scarred in consequence, until at last Ab, though he protested hardly, was compelled to give up his pets. Somehow he was not in the mood for killing the half-grown beasts, and so he simply turned them loose, but they did not, as he had thought they would, flee to the forest. They had known almost no life except that of the cave, they had got their meat there, and at night the twain were at the doorway whining for food. To them were tossed some half-gnawed bones, and they received them with joyous yelps and snarls. Thenceforth they hung about the cave and retained, practically, their place in the family, oddly enough showing particular animosity to those of their own kind who ventured near the place. One day the female was found in the cave's rear with four little whelps lying beside her, and that settled it. The family petted the young animals, and they grew up tamer and more obedient than had been their father and mother. Protected by man, they were unlikely to revert to wildness. Members of the pack which grew from them were, in time, bestowed as valued gifts among the cavemen of the region, and much came of it. The two boys did a greater day's work than they could comprehend when they raided the dens by the river's side. But there was much beside the capture of wolf cubs to occupy the attention of the boys. They counted themselves the finest bird hunters in the community and, to a certain extent, justified the proud claim made. No youths could set a snare more deftly or hurl a stone more surely, and there was much bird life for them to seek. The bustard fed in the vast nut forests, the caper calesie was proud upon the moors, where the heathcock was as jaunty, and the willow grouse and partridge were wise in covert to avoid the hungry snowy owl. Upon the river and lagoons and creeks, the swan and wild goose and countless duck made constant clamour, and there were water rail and snipe along the shallows. There were eggs to be found, and an egg baked in the ashes was a thing most excellent. It was with the waterfowl that the boys were most successful. The ducks would, in their feeding, approach close to the shores of the river banks or the little islands, and would gather in bunches so near to where the boys were hidden that the young hunters, leaping suddenly to their feet and hurling their stones together, rarely failed to secure at least a single victim. There were muskrats along the banks, and there was a great beaver, which was not abundant, and which was a mighty creature of his kind. Of muskrats the boys speared many, and roasted muskrat is so good that it is eaten by the Indians and some of the white hunters in Canada today, but the big beaver they did not succeed in capturing at this stage of their career. Once they saw a seal, which had come up the river from the sea, and pursued it, running along the banks for miles, but it proved as elusive as the great beaver. 
but as a matter of course it was upon land that the greatest sport was had there were the wild hogs but the hogs were wary and the big boars dangerous and it was only when a litter of the young could be pounced upon somewhere that flint-headed spears were fully up to the emergency on such occasions there was fine pig-sticking and then the atmosphere in the caves would be made fascinating with the odour of roasting suckling there is a story by a great and gentle writer telling how a chinaman first discovered the beauties of roast pig it is an admirable tale and it is well that it was written but the caveman many tens of thousands of years before there was a china yielded to the allurements of young pig and sought him accordingly the musk ox which still mingled with the animals of the river basin was almost as difficult of approach as in arctic wilds to-day as was a small animal half goat half antelope which fed upon the rocky hillsides or wherever the high reaches were there were squirrels in the trees but they were seldom caught and the tailless hare which fed in the river meadows was not easily approached and was swift as the sea-wind in its flight swifter than a sort of fox which sought it constantly but the burrowing things were surer game there were martins and zaboas and marmots and hedgehogs and badgers all good to eat and attainable to those who could dig as could these brawny youths the game once driven to its hole the clamshell and the sharpened fire-hardened spade-stick were brought into use and the fate of the animal sought was rarely long in doubt it is true that the scene lacked one element very noticeable when boys dig out any animal to-day there was not the inevitable and important dog but the youths were swift of sight and quick of hand and the hidden creature once unearthed seldom escaped one of the prizes of those feats of excavation was the badger for not only was it edible but its snow-white teeth perforated and strung on sinew made necklaces which were highly valued the youths did not think of attacking many of the dangerous brutes they might have risked the issue with a small leopard which existed then or faced the wildcat but what they sought most was the wolverine because it had fur so long and oddly marked and because it was braver than other animals of its size and came more boldly to some bait of meat affording opportunity for fine spear-throwing and apropos of the wolverine the glutton as it is called in europe it is something still admired it is a vicious bloodthirsty unchanging and to the widely informed and scientifically sentimental lovable animal it is vicious and bloodthirsty because that is its nature it is lovable because through all the generations it has come down just the same the caveman knew it just as it is now the early teuton knew it when hides of land were the rewards of warriors the roman knew it when he made forays to the far north for a few centuries and learned how sharp were the blades of the rhinefolk and the briton the druid and the angle and jute and saxon knew it and it is known to-day in all northern europe and asia and america in fact in nearly all the northern temperate zone the wolverine is something wonderful it laughs at the ages its bones found side by side with those of the cave hyena are the same as those found in its body as it exists to-day it is an anomaly an animal which does not advance nor retrograde the two big boys grew daily in the science of gaining food and grew more and more of importance in their respective households sometimes either one of them might hunt alone but this was not the rule it was safer for two than one when the forest was invaded deeply but not all their time was spent in evading or seeking the life of such living things as they might discover they had a home life sometimes as entertaining as the life found anywhere outside End of chapter ten.